to another Zelda podcast. I'm David, uh, one of the hosts of the show here with my other co-host, Katie Roberts. Katie, how are you? I'm good. I'm really excited. Also kind of nervous for today's episode uh, just because I am... I'm not a researcher. I'm not a researcher at heart. Oh, sure. Um, but I did my best, and I am railing and ready to um, go off of whatever you say. I heard a things. little tremor in your voice just now. You are nervous. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about this episode. I'm not going to lie. That's okay. That's okay. So what we're doing is we're doing one of our classic making of episodes, mm. and we actually haven't done one since about season two. It's been a long <laughs> time. It used to These episodes used to be basically me studying up for three months, building a report, and dictating that report to Kate back in season one and two, and she would kind of just listen while mm. I was like, and then they did this for Legend of Zelda, and then they did this. Um, th- we, I really, really wanted to get back to doing at least one of these behind-the-scenes episodes every season. And you and I were chatting about it, and we thought, well, you know, the, the development of Breath of the Wild actually was pretty interesting because it was such a game-changing game um, that we decided that we would do a, a making mm-hmm. of episode. The twist, though, is, was that me? The twist is, yes, it is. I'm so sorry. So <laughs> professional. Um, the twist is that with this episode, both of us did the research. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a little bit more of a conversation. And I think that's a great way to have the um, episode kind of evolve back. In, you know, It's like using our old format a little bit, but we're kind of giving it a good, a good twist. A modern twist, the way... Breath of the Wild has done for Zelda games. Didn't plan that connection. Just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I whipped that one out of my back pocket while I was trying to fix my microphone here. I'm sorry. Um, we have some listener feedback first. My mic is good. This is our first time. We're in a new studio, quote unquote studio it's right cool. now. It's cool. Yeah. I think it is kind of cool. I, I had a, a, not a last minute move. I knew I was moving, but I had the place I thought I was moving to. Um, the lease didn't come together in mm. time and whatever, blah, 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 blah. So all of a sudden I had this kind of um, moment where I was panicking a little bit trying to find an apartment for about three, four weeks. And I got really lucky. And we are currently in an apartment that's about six blocks away from my old place. Um, for, for you, did you know? Oh, wait, you took the bus here today, not that blue line. Isn't that right? Uh, I, the way I got over here was weird. I took the train and then I hopped a bus. So, blue line to division and then bus from division to yeah exactly oh. that's how i got here and, and full disclosure blue line to here is about a six minute walk and so you probably waited for that bus longer really? than what it would have taken to walk that's that's what google told me i to know do. i know because anything over you know three or four blocks they're like take take the bus or take the whatever yeah. and i walk you know the target you walked past mm-hmm. or, or ro- probably rode the bus past yeah i walked to that target from here and it is a good like six minute walk <sighs> Okay, I'll have to do that next time. In fact, I'm actually closer. This is a little in the weeds right now, but I'm actually closer to that Blue Line Division stop than I was in the previous place that we used to record, that kind of basement place. Oh, yeah, because I used to... Okay. <laughs> but I'm so happy you got here. I know here. for next time. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you got here and all the rest. But um, one thing that's kind of cool about this new place, I ended up finding this, like, this old little apartment in Wicker Park, but the way that we're going to be set up here is I'm going to be able to leave the podcast equipment up set up permanently. So this is going to, this room we're in right now is going to become, and already is a little bit, I've got a recording booth behind you that I already showed you, a legitimate closet that I've got foam up and I've got a proper microphone in there. Oh, yeah. The mics we're talking on right now will be here forever. We're sitting at an actual table in front of us, not just like sitting on a couch uh, like we did at, you know, <laughs> at the other place. Um, so I am, feel so much more intense, just like constant eye contact. <laughs> yeah, we are kind of <laughs> like facing each other close. Right across from each other. <laughs> <laughs> I never even even yeah actually this is actually I'm realizing yeah we're like 180 we are like facing each other yeah. at this desk we've never I've never done that for a recording ever yet it's always been like a 45 sitting on one chair and someone else sitting on a couch yeah 
Are you okay with it? Are you comfortable? I, no, I'm cool with it. I just it makes me remember when I was all growing up, even till like a year or two ago, my mom always been like, "You have to make eye contact. You have to look at people when they're talking." So now I'm just like staring you down. That's okay. That's all right. You know, actually, this is our second. This is your and my first time recording in this space. But I actually got it set up last minute, not last minute, but I finally got it all set up yesterday because this the episode you and I are recording right now is the is the episode right after the episode that we literally recorded yesterday, which was Mazis from the Zelda Dungeon coming in and he and I chatted, yeah. which our listeners have literally just heard that episode before this episode. So it's all lining up. However, literally there was less than 24 hours in between that episode and us doing this one. Yeah. For our listeners, it'll be two weeks. But um, it's so cool to be... I'm so excited for the second half of this season where we can just have like an AZP space. And I know mm. our listeners can't see this right now. Maybe our patron people can see it on the camera a little bit. But the way I've set this up is we've got the desk here to record at. Just beyond the desk are some chairs and a nice TV. So if we ever want to do like Let's Plays or playthroughs or or any of these YouTube videos, mm -hmm. this whole space kind of cascades out with being able to do that. And I really hope that, that, that this becomes a little bit of a... We, we've even kind of made it so that, you know, TC DeWitt from Studio Demands It is going to be here in a couple of weeks. And we've made it so that he can literally spend the night here mm -hmm. so if, if people come in that are probably part of the azp team and they're not you know they need a place to stay yeah. they can stay here very exciting all right let's move on <laughs> katie i have some listener feedback first yes yes and then please. we're going to get into the making of breath of the wild which actually i asked masas last night i asked him i said hey i you know we like to i told him we were recording this episode mm -hmm. today and i was like you know we kind of like to get clever and name the titles of these episodes based on like whatever the working title was of the video game and I said, I don't think Breath of the Wild had a working title. I think it was literally called Zelda Wii U yeah. while they were making it. And he said, yeah, that's correct. There wasn't a... I was going to say, I, I remember when we first discussed doing this episode, I looked for like a good half hour trying to find it and I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, the original game was originally called the Hyrule Fantasy and then they and the subtitle was The Legend of Zelda. Then they pivoted that um, because the fi Final Fantasy actually came out oh, the yeah. same year and they didn't want the f fantasy in the name, which is hysterical because now we have because the name The Legend of Zelda mm -hmm. was going to be just the subtitle for that one game that was about that one princess named Zelda. And like the next game was going to be a different story. Maybe it would have Link in it, but it was going to be a completely different yeah. narrative. And they were visualizing making stories in like this one Hyrule, mm. the Hyrule fantasy. Um, and isn't that funny that because of that name pivot now, our main thread is the Triforce of Link and yeah. Zelda and Ganon, Ganondorf and all of that. So anyways, here we go. Let's jump into some listener feedback. Also, these some of these, maybe we can hand them back and forth, actually. Would you, would you like to start doing the listener feedback with me or not? Yeah. I, I mean, they're dry reads. We're just no, reading I'd them love, dry. I did, I did some with Al and it was kind of fun. That's right. Of course you did. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, let's try this. For today, I'll just hand my phone back and forth. Yeah, no, but maybe cool. in time, I can share the shared folder with you, and then yeah. you can always access it from whatever device you'd like to. All right, here we go. So our first one here is from a person named Quinn, and it looks like it's a DM on Instagram, actually. Interesting. Um, hey, AZP. I found your podcast a couple of months ago and have listened to every episode two times or more since then. My brother, who recently moved down to Peru for the next two years, used to listen to you guys and recommended the podcast before he left. That's amazing. Ever, ever since finding your podcast, I've played Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, Ocarina, Majora's, and most recently, Minish Cap. Man, he's played more than I have. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. <laughs> um, um, after never beating a Zelda game beforehand. 
You guys are absolutely amazing, and your podcast has become an amazing piece of my life. Thank you so much. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Three green heart emojis. Yay, three green hearts. Hey, Quinn, thank you so much. Uh, technically, Quinn Hardigan, one, two, three, four, five over on Instagram, I believe. Um, that's a wonderful little story. I love it. That is, that's that's devotion, man. Some of my favorite messages we get are, is, is when people like say, like, oh, I kind of found your podcast, but because of the show... I started yeah. playing this game and this game and this game. And I went back and dove back into, you know, whatever, Wind Waker. I dove mm-hmm. back into all the different things. And that just warms my heart. And I also love that Quinn's brother listened to the show and then recommended it before he yeah, left. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I have an older brother. He left about a year, year and a half ago now for the Navy. And so I'm kind of a similar situation of like trying to get into those similar things uh, because of him. That's, wait, wait. I was actually trying to get the next um Listener feedback queued up, and I'm so sorry I didn't listen to that last sentence of yours. What did you just say? Your brother left and told you about something? Oh, just like in general, I've been trying to get into similar things just because he he left like a year, year and a half ago to be in the Navy down in like either North or South Carolina. I can I never remember. So it's, you know, I, I get the kind of trying to get into similar things as your older brother, kind of a way to be closer kind of thing. Uh, I see now. Yeah, yeah. cool. By the way, this is intense sitting here looking at each other. I feel like I feel intense. like we're in a radio station. We're like yeah. on the mics with the with the little pop filter. I mean, we always use the pop filters, but we're we're I feel like, you know, we've, we I don't know. This is pretty we've got our cups, our mugs of water yeah. <laughs> with our notes in front of us. This is cool. I'm into it. All right, I'm going to hand this over. I believe that this nice. is um uh this one I believe is Twitter, but maybe it's Instagram as well. I don't know. Can you tell by those little Eggs. icons on the bottom? Um Sometimes when we do, so when we do the screen grabs, we always try to get something that informs us of where it's coming. But for some of these screen grabs, whoever took them didn't quite get all the stuff. So anyway, let's go for it. Let's say it's Twitter. Yeah, let's just say it's Twitter. Um, This is at Cecilia. I'm going to pronounce it strong. Contador Valley, 1995. I'm so sorry, Cecilia. Um, It says, hi, guys. Huge fan of the podcast. I just wanted to thank you for all the new things that I've learned from you, lore and stuff, from the very beginnings of Zelda. I'm in a wheelchair from an accident, and I had... An accident I had, and besides rehab, there's not much to do, so you guys are my stamina, so geek of me. That's very nice of you, though. I've listened every episode, and I can't wait for the next one. Also, Twilight Princess is my favorite Zelda, and was my first one. Now I have so much time, and you guys have encouraged me to play other Zelda games like Minish Cap, Ocarina, Skyward Sword, and Link's Awakening. Well, keep up the amazing work, and greetings from Chile. Okay, bye. That listener feedback was epic. Yeah, also it says, okay, bye, reading Kate's voice. Sorry, I'm not Kate. You don't have Kate today. But (laughs) that is is really, really cool. First off, I hope um, all goes well with your healing and everything. With your recovery, yes, Yeah, your recovery. Um, I'm glad that you're finding... A fun way to kind of spend your recovery, though, playing through the Zelda games, and that we can be there with you through it. I but love the comment that we're the st- we're stamina. Yes, yeah, let us be. Let us be sweet. that that uh, that that green circle. Also, I, that's so far away. <laughs> I know, so cool, right? That is very cool. Thank you so much for listening. Chile. Amazing. Twilight Princess is also my favorite Zelda game. Oh, you don't cool. say. <laughs> okay, well, I probably mention it every episode now, don't I? Um, all right, let's go into our next listener feedback. This one is very much clearly a YouTube comment. Um, from the Well Excuse Me Princess episode, season three, episode twelve. We need to we need to do I we, sorry, this is some behind the scenes, but David had talked to me about potentially doing um some of those last episodes with you guys. I've got them here. St- that's why I'm looking around right now. I don't yeah. think they're up on the shelves yet, but they're in a box. Um we have two or three episodes left 
two or three episodes left to review, which we'll do in a single episode. Mm-hmm. I'm saving it for when TC DeWitt of Studio yeah. Demands it comes into town. But um, but when that happens, I'm going to try to have you be in that episode I with us. I am so excited about that. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, here we go. That episode, uh, well, excuse me, princess. Technically volume one or whatever. We did it. We're doing it in like parts. Uh, Logan West over here on YouTube says, I listened to the preview of the Studio Demands It episode, Legend of Zelda 3000. I'm, well, I'll speak to that in a second. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to the full episode at some point, but I love the idea of our hero being a Gerudo. But I think when the Triforce appears on his hand, we the player don't see it. The person in game who does just knows it as the Triforce and the symbol and thinks it's the, the power one. Oh. That causes our hero to get exiled from Gerudo society. Interesting. And causes his to seek causes him to seek out the Ganondorf statue. Ooh, this is some really good. This is some saucy sauce here, Logan West. Um, we, the player, obviously know that we are playing Link, but it would be cool to leave it up in the air. Yes. Wow, this is a deep dive comment. So in the uh, we've had three crossover episodes with the studio demands it. Mm-hmm. And in each of those episodes, uh, TC and I, and one time uh, Dan from Fan Fiction, another 6-5 show, the three of us, we all got together and we, you know, we tried to, studio demands its whole thing is that they basically try to come up with a film like within the episode. Mm-hmm. Usually it's that they get like a crazy request and then it's, and then they try to make that work. Um, but, but for our crossover episodes, we were like, all right, one episode was like, all right, a Zelda movie. One was, okay, a Zelda TV show. One mm-hmm. was, you know, different things. Oh, one was a Zelda game. And so <laughs> TC and I, and if you haven't heard this episode, Katie, because it is, it is we have a preview version at, on, of it on our feed, but it's over on Studio Demands, and I'm going to send you a link because I'm so yeah. proud of what TC and I came up with. We were talking about having to make a new Zelda game, and we came up with this story thread that took place after Phantom Tracks, or Spirit Tracks, and... Um, we posited, what if the link was Gerudo? I've always really loved, I I mean, especially when Tears of the Kingdom first came out and or was announced and everyone was kind of playing around with this idea of like a good Ganon. I've always really liked the thought of like a good male Gerudo. So yeah. that's, that's exciting. Well, we were thinking about this. Well, the, we came up with this idea that I'm so proud of. And it was such a cool, I'm, I'm legitimately proud of what TC and I came up with in that episode. I think we came up with the concept of a really cool game. And there were dynamics between Ganon, not being Link's dad, of course, but like being of us the same bloodline. And then mm. there's there's father themes of being disappointed and that I'll reject you. So and cool. And then, um, then you really, so I think the way that started is we were thinking like a lot of times Link's storyline in most Zelda games, the reason he usually wakes up in the beginning is because for all intents and purposes, Link is supposed to kind of start out like a lazy young kid and mm-hmm. grow to be a hero by the end of the game, whether that's super obvious or a little bit more vague. But is that is kind of a a standard thread in a Zelda game. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, we were thinking like, well, what if um, it's not that he's lazy? What if it's that he thinks he's supposed to be something else? Yeah. Not that he thought thinks he needs to be Ganondorf or anything like that. But anyways, we did this whole thing. Uh, they travel back to the, the sword in Ganondorf's uh, head as he's a stone from Wind Waker, mm. and that's the that is after the three dungeons where Link actually finds. So he finds the Master Sword from the Wind Waker Master Sword, and mm. all this kind of stuff. It was so much fun, and so actually we did say in a moment where, um, and also like Zelda's there, and then she sees the she sees the hero, the the Triforce of Courage on this Gerudo kid who th- she thinks is the next Ganondorf. Yeah. And then she's like, wait, you're the next Link. This can't be. I have yeah. to go. And then he, this, our Link has to figure out what to do. See, I think that would, they, if they ever did something like that, which I hope to God that they do, <laughs> if they ever did something like that, now would be the time to do it because now we, with 
which we're going to talk about today, um, Breath of the Wild changed everything so much and then tears kept changing it more. And now I think that it's like the perfect time to do an even further deviation where it still keeps similar Zelda themes and everything that we love about Zelda. But it would be so cool for them to do that where it's like, okay, what if Link was a Gerudo? What if something like changed with the Triforce? Yeah. What if what if Ganon was good this time? What if you play as Ganon this time? Just, I don't know. It, it'd be so cool. I It gets me riled up. It was it was a fascinating episode to put together. We technically called it uh, the Legend of Zelda three thousand as a little bit of a joke because I think the request that came in was like, "Could you make a steampunk Zelda?" Was the quick mm. request that was like what came in from the fictional studio. But we kind of took that and spun it, and you know what I mean, embraced yeah. a little bit of Final Fantasy VII aesthetic, and then we started talking about there being a new city in the New Hyrule. I, I'm going to stop gushing. Uh, I'll send you a link to that episode. I was gonna say, send me a link. It. Last thing though, um, kind of on that topic of like, oh, steampunk, different world type thing. When I was looking into the research for this Breath of the Wild episode, I saw some concept art that they had of Link, and he was like modern Link with like jeans and everything on a motorcycle. And I was like, that'd be so funny. I've, I'd seen a lot of art on Tumblr and stuff that people had done of like modern Zelda characters, and it would be really funny to see some Zelda game that's set in like a modern world be. I don't know how they would do it. Well, the thing that we were exploring in um, The Legend of Zelda 3000 in the beginning, we were trying to craft where the narrative would go. Once we put some of these hooks together, once we got the whole like Gerudo Link thing going, there's a lot of things that came that fell into place that made sense with the characters. Mm -hmm. Zelda was reacting in appropriate way. Ganondorf was reacting in appropriate way. It was really fun. So we came together. But when we first came up with that, it was because we spoke about how... um, Zelda games, it's so funny. Maybe maybe you and I have talked about this on mic. Maybe we haven't. But, you know, like even it even happens in Breath of the Wild. It's like 10,000 years go by. Yeah. And it's like, what? They're still using swords and hammers? Well, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. they should be in outer space by now if 10,000 years have gone mm. by. You know what I mean? And so yeah. Zelda always kind of exists in this timeless, pseudo-ancient kind of mm. thing. I think some would argue, and we even have a blog post about this on our website, some would point out that we're kind of dealing with sci-fi and tears of the kingdom and breath of the wild anyway with yeah like the I, I was always sci-fi. um it always made me laugh with the like electric proof armor that you can get because it'll be like oh so they say this is made of rubber this ancient material that and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> why and then it's such like a small thing and i know it's a joke but it's also like what happened so that rubber is not a thing anymore, but it used to be? What's going on here? I know. And so what happens is when people say, oh, what would a modern Zelda be? Like, is it is it cars and motorcycles and whatever? TC and I had to kind of filter that and process that yeah. and figure out. And we decided that it kind of isn't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We decided that it isn't. It doesn't mean Zelda in modern times, in our times or anything. It doesn't mean... Yeah, you know, more like a, how would they naturally progress type mm-hmm. thing. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I can't think of any examples right well, now. But. If I may, the way we kind of sussed it out was we said, okay, it's not going to be future, mm-hmm. but we'll embrace the steampunk punk aesthetic because we decided that new Hyrule from Spirit Tracks would be where this new city was built. And then we yeah. kind of went, okay. And then now they now they got a little bit of tech because they've because in the in the Phantom Hourglass Spirit Tracks story. Uh, part of the timeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are like proper steamships and boats and things like that where there is a. That's why we kind of pivoted off of that yeah. part of the timeline. Like there is machines that are mm-hmm. functioning in a way that you and I would understand to be like a, a normal automobile type style yeah. technology. All right, let's keep moving here because otherwise I'm going to talk about yeah. that episode Absolutely. for the next no, hour. We... Like, this one looks like a quick oh, one. Oh, we got one more. Okay. We have two more. I don't know what this is from. Oh, um, that's a iTunes review or, <laughs> iTunes or Apple or... Podcast Apple review. Apple Podcast review. Okay, thank you. Uh, Always Amazing by Zelda for Life 
A uh, great pod that always keeps me entertained when I am bored. Keep up the amazing show. <laughs> Thank really you so much. Really short and sweet. A quick really one. Really appreciate it. Yep. We always love our, um, any any kind of review. Uh, always helps the algorithm, especially on Apple Podcasts. This is yeah, true definitely. on Spotify as well. Spotify has a new feature where you can literally um, leave comments under episodes now. Mm. We see all of those, and it also helps the algorithm. So if, if you are listening on Spotify and you're inclined to to chime in um, in these kind of like uh, when, basically on Spotify, when you're done listening to an episode, it'll say something like, How did, did you like the episode or what are your thoughts? And people are um, prompted to enter something if they want. And over on Apple Podcasts, leaving a review, it really, really helps us get into those like, you like this show? You might also like this show mm. algorithm. And so we always appreciate it. This was a five-star review by Zelda Fan for Life 08. And thank you so much. This one's crazy. It's YouTube and it's cropped in like the strangest way. So I'm going to read it right now. <laughs> Season five, episode one, favorite dwellings. I have to zoom in and scroll. Oh, oh, it's Marker Owls. He's one of our patrons. He's been with us in some ah! of our hangouts. All right. Marker Owl says, listening to this episode again, because I love it so much. I've said it before, but I really enjoy Selmy Spot or Calip's Cabin in Breath of the Wild. Also, I'm going to need... The name of the book series Kate said she was reading about the guy with his pet wolf. We've read this we one. We have before. read this one. We've I remember read this. this. One. All right. Well, Mark, you got a second read. Um, somehow that snuck into our, our Wii U Zelda folder. Well, you know what? That's okay, Mark. We so, love you all the same. <laughs> he's he's fantastic. We really kind of just met him in person, in quotes, through our Patreon hangouts, mm. our um, Patreon happy hours that we do every other month. And um, it was a real pleasure. Yeah. And also, I remember when we did read that the first time, I couldn't remember what Selmy's spot was. And we were like, oh, maybe it's like a water type place. It's not. Yeah. I played Tears again. Or I, I played Tears and I remembered Selmy's spot is the snowboarding place. The shield surfing. Oh, okay. okay, cool. Selmy is the one that teaches you. So uh, sorry. Back when we first read that, I didn't know what you were talking about. I do now. There it is. Well, well, no, no, yeah, no problem representing Mark one more time. Um, the way we usually do this is we literally have folders and we take our screenshots and we move them into folders for the episodes and then we move the folders into an archive. Mm -hmm. But apparently a few snuck through and that's okay. That's okay. Katie. Yes. Breath of the Wild. It's a game. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Have a great night. We can find that's us at anotherzeldapodcast.com. And all the research I did. It's a game. Yes, it is. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, I think most, I'd, I'd like to start, I think I could set this up yes. um, with a little bit of pre-stuff <laughs> pre first here. Um, I'd like to speak a little bit about the inspiration for Breath of the Wild. Mm. Um, so we're going to be talking about the making of Breath of the Wild today which again, its working title was just Wii U Zelda. I remember that, you know, Breath of the Wilds, um, it has its roots in some previous Zelda games. And I'll speak to that when we get to the appropriate points in this conversation. But, you know, the Zelda game after Skyward Sword really was this like tech demo that came out for the Wii U mm. where Link was in these like super, basically Twilight Princess style graphics and he was fighting kind of a Goma spider mm. and stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen this video based on your face right now. I've never seen the video, but yeah. I know what you're like. I know what a Goma spider is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I am following. There was like this kind of like high end graphics thing and everyone was like, that's going to be the Wii U Zelda or whatever. Um, now, it's not that's not to say that Breath of the Wild's graphics are lesser than. In fact, I think Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom by Ascension are absolutely beautiful. But mm. they did kind of, um, there was a press release that I read shortly after that, you know, maybe a half a year after this kind of E3 uh, demo reel that they mm. were showing 
that said that they were trying to find a middle ground between Twilight Princess and like the Skyward Sword aesthetic. Yeah, I was going to say when I was looking into, I looked a lot at the concept stuff because I like the concept art. I like the art of games. Uh, and I was interested to see a lot, especially the early concept art they had of Link was so much darker and grittier. And a lot of them, he looked a lot older. Yeah. And I think it's funny seeing how like, I kind of had a 180 where now he's like a lot younger looking. He's like a lot brighter. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And I've got a whole section here about the art too. So I, be, I, be, I can't wait to speak more about that. But, um, you know, I also remember personally, I don't have this in my notes. I recall finding another, you know, after about a year of, of hinting around because we the, skyward or um, <laughs> breath of the wild mm-hmm. went into development properly right around two, 2013 is kind of what I found in my yeah. research. And I kind of remember around that time, obviously the Wii U was very much still around. Skyward Sword was 2011, I think. Is that when it came out? I was going to say, I cannot speak uh, to yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Skyward Sword was released in 2011. And okay. so it wasn't, they took off for a couple of years, just kind of like, you know, relaxed for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we all know that basically Zelda games come out every five to seven years, which is to say that Zelda games come out every five years and then get delayed two years. And now we're also in a new cycle of remasters and remakes as well well that I'm, I'm actually happy you pointed that out and that's a that is a strategy by nintendo of america specifically but maybe all of nintendo mm. um doug bowser of nintendo the ceo of nintendo america he has actually said for years now for the past six or seven years he said i want a zelda game every year yeah and so to 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 facilitate that they do like the spin-offs and the remasters and all of that mm. i can't wait um so anyway so in 2013 there's this idea of, you know, um, that the team was kind of thinking about, IG Numa was still the main producer. Um, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto was kind of mm. more, he was a little bit higher up. Uh, he didn't have as much to do with this game. In fact, there's a, a famous video of IG Numa showing Shigeru Moto, like what they've done with the game so far. Mm. Shigeru, is, he's gotten a little bit higher up at the company and he's, uh, well, these days handling theme parks and things like that yeah. and movies. But, um, but, you know, he was also the original creator of, the Legend of Zelda, the first mm-hmm. game. And he and Iji Anuma actually met each other. Well, not met, but one of their big projects together was that Iji Anuma did some of the dungeon design for Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. which with which Miyamoto was the main uh, producer yeah. for. There was also a director for this game, and I, I don't have his name in my notes right now, and I feel bad. Maybe I'll find it on my break, but Anuma was kind of the main producer. Anyways, Skyward Sword itself came out for the Wii, and it was... Um, I actually looked this up because my recollection of Skyward Sword is that it was kind of it kind of received mixed reviews when it came out. It kind of mm. came out with not not lackluster, but it kind of came out. And, yeah. you know, um, there was kind of an embarrassing E3 where Miyamoto was showing the game off and the controller wasn't working right. And they really weren't able to show off the graphics the way or the whole game, even mm-hmm. the way they wanted to. It was a little lackluster, unfortunately. But when the game finally came out, the three main criticisms from from even though it got I actually looked this up. It actually received a 93 out of 100 on Metacritic. It yeah. actually got great reviews by reviewers. Um, but some of the critiques and maybe a bit of the community was that the motion controls were less than desired at the time, even mm-hmm. though this was supposed to be the game. Twilight Princess had motion controls tacked on. Yeah. Um, Skyward Sword was supposed to be the game that really properly used motion controls. Oh, I, I could feel it <laughs> when I when when you played I, the HD one. When I was playing the HD, I was like, yep, this is a motion control game, yep. which is fine. I'm just not the biggest fan of motion control games, which is good because you can flip them off, you know? I loved using the Pro Controller for Skyward Sword and Skyward Sword HD, I mean. Yeah, I... I did but i i don't know 
I'm, I'm used to just using old fashioned controls, I guess. Sure. Well, so that was one of the criticisms in that it was that, you know, some of the motion controls were kind of fun and cool in Skyward Sword, but at the end of the day, they weren't quite as accurate as maybe mm-hmm. some wanted. That's fine. The graphic style was slightly controversial. Um, really? Yeah. The I don't know if you've seen much of original Skyward Sword in action. I know mm-hmm. you played the HD version. And I think the graphics are updated in a, an appropriate way for the HD version. I spoke about that in our Skyward Sword episode. But, um, you know, the Wii is not was not tremendously powerful. Mm-hmm. It was it was really kind of a GameCube and they had a, a, the equivalent of like an Xbox chip. And they were kind of they weren't even yeah. they were like on the same circuit board, but they didn't even like speak to each other. So <laughs> the programmers would have to use one chip for some things, another chip for another thing. It's a whole thing, but we won't get into it right now. Um so it wasn't that strong. It was basically as strong as a GameCube. So it could basically handle, you know, let's say something like Twilight Princess. Mm. Is, is just if we're going for broad strokes here. And Skyward Sword, the way they, one of the most famous ways to, if you want a world to feel big, mm-hmm. and you think about the Nintendo 64 days, one of the most famous ways to have your world feel big, but but to um, have it not be as big is to enter uh, uh, have a layer of like fog in your game. So you don't oh, have to render stuff in the distance, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, games like Turok for Nintendo 64 famously have, like, you can only see, like, 20 feet in front of you mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things. Um, Ocarina of Time has tons of fog. That was a whole thing with the, when the Nintendo Switch Online service came out. The fog wasn't quite rendered right, and they fixed it now. Mm-hmm. Um, fog's important for these games. But they wanted, with Skyward Sword, the team wanted to try something a little bit different. And someone, somewhere, came up with the idea of, well, what if we, instead of fogging things out you know basically as the as the polygon count gets lower in the distance for something and mm-hmm. the graphics get worse and normally we have to hide that with a layer of fog what if we blur it basically mm-hmm. and then they came up with this idea so there was this post-production filter where there was as things were more in the distance a literal filter would be applied as a as like a, a sheet in the game mm-hmm. imagine imagine a stage and you might have a bunch of different scrims, right? Yeah. And so each of these scrims are transparent, but they have instructions to apply a blur filter to them to mm-hmm. give a little bit of like a depth effect. Yeah. This is all over Breath of the Wild these days, by the way. Mm-hmm. When you zoom into your uh, Sheikah slate, there's a there's an actual depth focal point that yeah. racks and everything. It's awesome. That's an extension of what I'm talking about right now. But what they did was basically in Skyward Sword, they'd find a little pixel and then blur that pixel out and make it real big. And it mm. made this really beautiful look that made the whole game look like it was not cell shaded, but it made it look like it was like painted, like, yeah. with, like oil painting. And I think that that aesthetic continues into Skyward Sword HD. And I think they did it right. Yeah, I think it's I mean, like you said, I really only know from the HD version, but I love the art style. I think it's gorgeous. So I've so I agree. And there were many times with Skyward Sword. Now, now take that resolution, put it down to 480 by 220 <laughs> or whatever it is, whatever the yeah. standard television version was for the original Skyward Sword. And. As your camera would move, sometimes these these little blur filters would they pick up different pixels and they'd start to, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. the game would like almost shimmer, and yeah. sometimes it became a blurry mess. Mm-hmm. And so that was another critique on the graphics. Technically, the graphics had a lower polygon count than like Twilight Princess and yeah. stuff like that. The trees were just flat panels again because they were going mm-hmm. for this painterly art style. I don't I want to I don't want to focus too much on Skyward Sword. I just want to point this out. I can't help but talk about what they did with no, that it's, game. No, it's interesting. I like hearing about it. So they came up. So I actually want to commend Nintendo for trying to come up with a style aesthetic that would help them render stuff in the distance. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have if a if a house has you know a million polygons to it or you know, two hundred polygons to this little house or a door or whatever in a video game and if in the distance you want to render it with four polygons because that's all your system can handle Mm -hmm. instead of that door looking terrible in the distance 
It can look terrible. And then you put the little blur yeah. filter on it. It looks like it's painted, right? Yeah. Technically, that's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, um, when I, I, I still draw sometimes, but especially when I was first kind of getting into it and drawing like digitally that was something i saw a lot of people online saying especially newer artists as well saying like oh you can just draw like an awful background and then if you blur it then it looks amazing and i was like this is a strat this is the strat (laughs) um um yeah exactly so but but you know so sometimes it was beautiful sometimes it was a blurry mess and then last but not least um the game skyward sword was delayed also one year um to make it have it have it have more, mm-hmm. but it, the backtracking in Skyward Sword is intuitively obvious. You know that you're literally yeah. backtracking three times to each location. Mm-hmm. Um, left a lot of people something to be desired, where they were used to something like Ocarina. Even though the areas in Ocarina were less dense and a little bit smaller, at least you're going to a lot of these different locales. Okay, fine. Yeah. So basically, Skyward Sword comes out, and and the critics and the community are like, okay, cool, but like. We've been doing this for a while. This is yeah. the same format we've actually had since Ocarina. Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword are all basically built off the same game presentation style. And what I mean by that is like the same game logic. The mm-hmm. same, you know that you're going to you're gonna push L button to bring your camera behind Link. You know that you're going to, yeah. you know, the way the games worked, the way they progressed, the way the find the thing to get the thing to get to the next thing. Yeah. And and Twilight Princess was kind of criticized for being a little too linear. I kind of agree, even though I like Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. Skyward Sword is tremendously linear, even though it pretends to not be with that whole sky thing. It feels, I don't know. I was going to say playing the game. I love Skyward Sword. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. It's linear. It, it, yeah. it feels linear when you're playing mm-hmm. and not necessarily it's a bad thing, but yeah. <laughs> I, I used that. to say in on this podcast before you were on the show, I used to say, I want to love Skyward Sword. And for me, when it, the HD version came out, that did it for me. But anyway. Yeah. So this is like, you know, the, the oh, I have some sales figures too. Um, oh my goodness. So Skyward Sword is the, is the uh, least is the least performing. It's the uh, it's sold the least out of all of the mainline Zelda games. And by mainline, I'm saying like these kind of big 3D console-based games okay. that come out. You know, the, the Wind Waker's, Twilight's, the Ocarina's, and all of that. Um, so it sold, in its span, it sold, Skyward Sword sold 4 million units. By contrast, mm-hmm. the original Legend of Zelda has sold over 6, sold over six million. Oh. The original one. And... Um, Twilight Princess, which is actually the best-selling Zelda mm-hmm. game of the mainline games, sold a little over 10 million. So Skyward Sword came in, couldn't, it was the predecessor after, or the successor after Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to keep ramping up. Uh, um, Wind Waker, I don't have those stats on here. Um, um, Skyward Sword comes out, and it, it doesn't even, it's like one-third of what Twilight Princess sales were. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a little bit of Zelda fatigue, honestly, in, in the community even mm-hmm. at that point. By the way, the next game that came out, um, you could maybe consider it as a mainline game, but it was A Link Between Worlds for the 3DS. It was about a year or two later. Mm-hmm. Sold 5.5 million. So the 3DS game Ooh. outsold a Wii game. Like so yeah. that's so Skyward Sword did not do well sales-wise. Yeah. Um, so I think I think all that's interesting. So Nintendo basically, as they were now it gets us into this Breath of the Wild thing. The team over at Nintendo in 2013, they were at a point where some some of the older designers were saying to themselves, well, what's the next Zelda? Let's just keep going. Maybe we tweak it here or there or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there were some new people. But honestly, I have to commend some of the older team members, IG Numa, some of these other producers, yeah. actually said, well, let's shake it up, you know? Yeah, I was surprised when I was looking into it how many of like the older I wouldn't say like this is older in age, but like 
the people that have been at Nintendo working on Zelda games for a while. Most how, of them since Ocarina of Time. Yeah. How open and like willing they were to listen to a lot of the newer recruits. And like there was, I'll, I'll talk about it later, but there was even some where they would say like, oh yeah, we thought this idea was so crazy and ridiculous, but we considered it and we like had them create a whole thing for it. And we like play tested yeah. and then we, we, then we ended up not using it, but it was the fact that they, they wanted to just try it and just see what would happen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So what I, I mean, the, the big thing that you'll see in any any article you read about making of, the, of Breath of the Wild or anything, any it's all over the Internet. But like the tagline for the team was breaking conventions, yeah. breaking the conventions of Zelda. Anything goes in the beginning. And so there was actually this like private, I don't know if it was Discord, but, you know, a private thread, a message board that they used at Nintendo where they allowed any of the developers to submit anything they wanted mm-hmm. for what could be in the next Legend of Zelda game. And maybe this is, maybe you know some about this too. I have a few of them here. Obviously, I think the most famous one, a lot of this, also I need to make a comment here. Uh We've done a Making of Ocarina a Time episode. Mm -hmm. We've done a Making of the Legend of Zelda episode. Mm -hmm. And both of those games were very much in history when I did my research. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is... Yeah, okay, fine. It's five, six years old, but it's still kind of like in the modern age. Yeah, I would say there's still some s- stories that we've yet to hear. I think out. there is. I think there is. And so some of this stuff, like everybody knows that they tried out aliens. You know, we I was just- going to say, I love that they were thinking like maybe one of the side quests or something was like cows were being abducted. <laughs> kind of a throwback to Majora's Mask. Yeah. Um. So... So, yeah, so so some of this stuff that we might say, maybe you've also seen it on the Internet. Some of this stuff is almost famously, like the Picori being in there is like famously things mm. that they were trying out and thinking about. But I think we just speak to all of it. Is I was going to cool? say, before we do, though, I want to know if like the young person that was like, oh, we should do aliens, how they felt when tears came out. If they were like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, maybe they're still on the team and that informs some of it. Yeah, maybe. You know? I, I don't know. That's where my mind went. So the aliens, literal u- literal UFOs and things like that. Um, tiny, tiny cultures akin I to the Picori. tiny people. Yeah. And the thought that Link could shrink down. But I get, like, when they did say that, I was like, oh, how would you even see them in a world like yeah. how Breath of the Wild became? So I, I understand well, what the they way they do it. Well, the way they do it in Minish Cap, I'm so sorry to interrupt right now. No, please. The way they do it in Minish Cap is that there's special trunks that allow Link to shrink. Mm. So at least you're queued up to where you probably should do it instead of just like, maybe I shrink here, nothing. Maybe I shrink here, Yeah, my thing was like, again, I haven't played that game, so I need to. But what I was kind of thinking is like, how would you know exactly like where to go to find these certain towns and would the the trunks stand out? Yeah, I agree. So I, I get why they had to cut it, but it is a really fun idea to play around with. Yeah, very cool. They thought they loved it. Um, um, guitars, Link with a, an electric guitar. That would be Someone so submitted. Cool. There have been guitars in Zelda games before. There's technically a fish guitar in Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see. I'm just thinking of Link with like an electric guitar. Yeah, that yeah. like Robbie makes for him. Um, motorcycles were in there, and they, they did. Finally, Which they ended up. Yeah, they yep. ended up doing it. I just knew pushed for that because apparently he rides a motorcycle. That's cool. And there's actually a little sentiment I read somewhere. This is not part of my notes right now. Where he was like, for he was pushing for the motorcycle and the team. The main designers were like, we can't put a motorcycle in Breath of the Wild. It's going to break the game Mm -hmm. because the motorcycle will move too fast and like the levels won't load. You know, the area won't stream in uh, fast enough or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like we cannot do a motorcycle. It's going to break the game. And um, he finally said, well, let's have it be the final DLC reward because there's nothing else to do after that. And so if it breaks the game a little, no one's going to care. Basic, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. That's so good. And that's how he campaigned to have the motorcycle be put in, in Breath of the Wild. He's like, well, how about it's the last thing they get? And then who cares if it breaks the game? 
I mean, the, the designers did a good job, and because uh, I don't, from what I've heard, it hasn't broken the game, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you can see stuff load in a little quicker sometimes, yeah. but it's it's totally fine. And then, um, what is this? Oh, Link as a Cyborg was another one that got submitted. I saw a lot of those, which again, I wonder if that was like an inspiration for Link losing his arm and getting like the one arm in Tears. I mean, I agree. I think some of these concepts have been re revisited a little bit in mm -hmm. Tears of the Kingdom. But anyway, I feel that this entire, I'm, I really am happy that they did, they tried and anything goes, you know, let's put it all yeah. out there. Let's throw every let's throw every noodle of spaghetti against the wall and see what could happen. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, there was a video cause they ended up like the, the people that came up with the idea wanted it so bad. They created like an actual like programmed thing to show like the heads to be like, look at this, like how cool this is. We need it. And they ended up doing it, but it was basically like they wanted a level where like link is running through like five different like giant robots fighting each other and throwing really? lasers at each other and it looks insane because it's just Link running with things blowing up and lasers being flown between these different like robot people. It's crazy. Well, and then some of that becomes the Divine Beasts and stuff like that. Yeah. That's interesting. There's a little bit of Shadow Colossus in there too then. That's also yeah, it, interesting. Yeah, it looked like a Shadow of the Colossus type thing. Fascinating. Um, well, anyway, the Switch, one of the things, so what do we have? What do we have? It started in 2013 with a planned release for 2015. Yeah, uh, the, I remember looking and they said a lot of their concepts are um, early promotional material, that's what it's called, had 2015 and then they were like, okay, well, you know, we're gonna add a few more things, it'll be fine, so we'll say the 2016 and then they're like, well, we're gonna add a few more things. So. They, yeah, they they kept, I, I'm fine with it. I've, oh, absolutely. I've always said a well-baked Zelda game is always better than a rushed one. Yeah, you I know? mean, throwing it off Zelda, a, a, a huge thing was when Cyberpunk 2077 came out and everyone was like, just, why did you release? Just wait a few, just wait. Yep. And they couldn't because for Cyber 27, blah, 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 you know, the, the higher ups said this is the date and this is what we need for our yeah. quarterly financials. And one thing I like about Nintendo is that sometimes at the risk of not having, you know, if they're looking for a, a certain game to perform in 2015 mm -hmm. to help their literal stock. Yeah. Um, they don't mind pushing it back and and not rushing it. There was the, There's mm -hmm. been two times where Zelda games were a little rushed. And I think you can kind of tell. Well, that's the thing. You can always tell when a game is rushed. Can you guess which two they were that got rushed? Ooh. Um, that, or that that rather did not get extended. They got extended a little bit, but then it was like, no, the game needs to come out because we need it. Okay. There's uh, two. I was going to say, immediately I'm thinking Skyward just because of how you were talking. That is one of them. Um, and then my other one, I, I want to say Minish Cap just because I don't hear people talk about it a lot. Okay, that's not it, but um, let's try one more. Oh, you haven't. Okay. There's one. It's, I see because you haven't played all, but there's there's one game that the second half of it is really stretched out. Oh, and, and disparate. <laughs> um, like, and it was so at a time. Many. It was at a time in Nintendo's history where they were starting to struggle a little bit. So it was before the Wii. I'm giving you a ton of hints. I'm trying really hard. It's to... Wind Waker. It is Wind Okay, I was going to say Wind Waker, but I didn't want to say Wind Waker because I knew that it, people are talking about it getting like a re-release or something like that. And I also, one of my roommates now, she's like, Wind Waker is the best game. I love Wind Waker. And so I was like, I want to say Wind Waker, but I don't know if that's true. No, it's all right. The first half of Wind Waker is phenomenal. That's yeah, a, that's I, the quick version. That's probably why, because I only ever pe hear people talking about like the first part of Wind Waker. Yeah. So anyways... Um, so that, you know, plan release for 2015. Also, I did want to say I love that Nintendo or the team, the Zelda team went with this whole like anything goes idea mm -hmm. because if because because how are you going to innovate 
if you don't just get crazy. Yeah. If you don't, if you if they let anything go, li- Link with an electric guitar and, sp- and space aliens is the last thing you ever think about when it comes to a Zelda mm. game. But they needed to go there so they could kind of break the seal, this convention of yeah. almost 20 years of making Zelda games exactly the same way. Well, that was the thing, too. I saw this is another thing that they had kind of animated that I was able to see when they were originally deciding what they were going to keep in the game or what they were going to implement mechanically wise. They actually made Breath of the Wild into a 2D game. Indeed they which did. Which looks really cool because it, it looked very much like the original Legend of Zelda and they would kind of like implement these ideas and I... <laughs> my cat my cat sorry. just got fed. I'm so Showing sorry. Showing running around. It's very cute. Anyway, oh sorry. I have to um, reprogram that feeder. <laughs> Uh, but it was really cool seeing these mechanics kind of like I specifically saw them like lighting a fire on the ground, shooting the fire, like the arrows through the fire to burn the trees, cut the trees down and kind of using that as like an easy way that's really quick and easy to program to see how different things would interact with each other. To practice the elements. Exactly. And I think that's a brilliant idea. And along with that, sorry, I'm kind of rambling. But no, it's fine. <laughs> this is literally my next note. I'm just letting you talk oh, about okay, it. Okay, perfect. Along with that, they would also schedule like weekly playthroughs. What? I got that here too. Yeah, it's like a, a whole group and they were saying like, well, it did take some time. They think that it made it so it was easier to get through the game because they didn't have to do all this playtesting at the end of it all and get through this huge game. Cause That's whenever, fair. Yeah, whenever they would hit a milestone, they would all sit down and play it together. Well, that's let's save a little bit more of that playtest stuff because that's that's I've got that more like around happening around 2015, if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. But in the early days, when they were figuring out like how do we remake, how do how do we completely reimagine how a Zelda game works and have it still feel like Zelda? You're absolutely right. That was the idea. Was they um, they kind of said, well, what if we? It's really easy and quick to program basically a version of the Legend of Zelda, and if we want all mm-hmm. these elemental controls. We can start practicing, and some of the things they discovered were like, mm-hmm. well, if a log can, if wood can burn, if, if we, because really what you're doing is whenever you're doing systemic gameplay mm-hmm. where where items have elemental um, properties, you basically are building these items and you're tagging them literally yeah. in the code. It's like this is a thing that's made of wood, so then all of the rules that happen to wood are applied. Yeah, and that's also what I saw when they were talking about the metal weapons and stuff. They were saying like they needed to think, they wanted to have lightning, but they're like, why should they care about lightning in a game? And then they were like, well, how does lightning interact with metal? Okay, now we just also created a reason why they should carry wood items with them because maybe mm-hmm. they can use the metal. And then also with like, <laughs> being able to use these metal items in a lightning storm to attack other um, monsters by like throwing it at them and things like that. So all just kind of like interacting and like using real life mechanics into the game for kind of what I think is the first time. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, no, there was a, there's a little bit of light physics in Wind Waker, a little bit of light physics in Twilight Princess, but it's all like within a certain space. It's certainly not systemic and mm. it's not part of the main game code. Um, but they're, they're, to, to speak to the elements, they've discovered things like, well, if, a lo- if, if water moves and things float down a river and a log can burn and it burns the things next to it, you can burn a log, put it in the river and start burning other things down the river. Like mm-hmm. they would discover these things before so they could play around in this little 2D game and, and try all the different things out and then try to figure out how it might work in a 3D game, which mm-hmm. is cool. Um, there was one other thing that IG Numa spoke about in many different interviews that I found where he desperately wanted to create what you and I would call an open world. You know, he says like mm-hmm. an expansive world, a huge world, whatever. Yeah, he I actually, think I saw open air at one point. Open air. Okay, it. interesting. Um, the the in, in many ways, Wind Waker is technically an open world game. Mm-hmm. It actually streams the different islands as they come in. 
um, but there, but the but the GameCube wasn't that strong and couldn't hold a lot of memory, and they couldn't make as many islands as they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, Skyward Sword pretends to be open world with that kind of flying around in the sky thing, but it's actually mm-hmm. that's that does that is not open world because it loads all of the sky gets loaded at once yeah. when Link is in it. It's not stream loading, you know, mm-hmm. as you move around. Where technically, Wind Waker stream loads. Technically, as you move towards an island, it loads an it loads that's an cool. island up. But it's loading an island, not an entire mountain range exactly. and twenty tree, you know, trees and yeah. all the stuff, right? So um, the team, the t- uh, IG Numa has said it many times that they finally were given a like a really large team to do the, mm. the Wii U Zelda, and um, they finally had the resources to try to do this. So that's when they started doing exploring with open world concepts. Um, another thing that was really important is that basically IG Numa wanted to cut out any kind of loading, so that you're not loading. You've played. So in Skyward Sword, there's loading. Yes. And a little, every single Zelda game has loading. Even mm-hmm. when you go the, the, when you go from like one part of Hyrule Field to another, a lot of times there's loading, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's because they're loading these little chunks that the game's in. And um, to accomplish zero loads or zero visible loads, because mm-hmm. we, we it's loading constantly. That's what how a streaming open world engine works. Lo- it's constantly loading the things in. But another thing that was really important to IG Enuma, apparently, was to be able to not have to load to walk into a building. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's actually a lot more complicated than people realize. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, you just open the door and you walk in the building. Well, no, the density of assets that are inside a building, all the little pots and pans and, mm-hmm. and cans and curtains and the little stuffed cats that are on the side, all the, you know, the wrinkles yeah. of the blankets. There's a ton of polygons rendered inside those buildings. Um, and you don't want to be rendering those polygons if you're outside the building and 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 can't see them. Yeah. It's going to slow the game down. So they had to figure out a way to not load. And basically the way you fix it in the olden days is character walks through door, you load the inside of the building, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's a little bit different. So if you walk up to a cabin in Breath of the Wild, it's not it's stream loading the environment. Mm-hmm. The, the rivers and the trees are all loading in in different ways. Um, but um, the what they do is they hold off on the load inside a cabin and they, they technically use a thing I don't really want to talk about too much where they, it's the same tech. It's the same effect that's used for the shrines in tears of the kingdom where it mm-hmm. looks like there's a room beyond something, but that's technically not geometry. Mm-hmm. It's a projection onto a polygon. So they have like preloaded projections of the insides mm-hmm. of these cabins. So when you look into a window in breath of the wild from afar, you kind of, you can kind of see what's going on in there, yeah. but I digress. The important thing is, is that it, there's a very small perimeter around the building that when that happens, then it starts loading in the assets mm-hmm. so that when you actually walk in, all the stuff's loaded. Nice. That's awesome. That's like they actually had to figure that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also saw when they were trying to decide because they wanted it to be this huge open world game. They wanted it to feel huge and they didn't really know how big or whatever. They ended up deciding because a lot of the people that worked there were from Kyoto and Nintendo is stationed in Kyoto. So they decided to use Kyoto's map mm-hmm. as an idea. Yes. And so you can see like it's really cool because you can see like the map of Kyoto and be like, Oh yeah, this literally looks like the four regions in Zelda. And they yeah. even use real life locations. Exactly. Haimiji castle is what they placed that they kind of put Hyrule castle where Haimiji would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a temple called a Kayomiza Derma, Derma Dorna temple. And they kind of said, well, that's basically what they did was think like, well, okay, what is it like if we live in Chicago right now, you and I, yeah. so we might think, well, what is it like to go from the John Hancock to the Willis tower? What does that feel like to walk mm-hmm. through downtown? And then, okay, well, that's, that takes about 40 minutes and that, you know, I'd be about this tired when I do it. Would I be inclined to go from the, from uh, the bean downtown mm-hmm. Chicago? Would I be inclined to walk out West to Wicker Park where we are here now? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like a 50 minute walk. It's a, you know, 10 minute 
train ride, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And so by using a real world analog like Kyoto, they were able to emotionally depict how far things should be in the game. Yeah, I I think that's so smart. I, I was like blown away when I saw that. I was like, oh my God, that's it's so It's very cool. cool. It's very cool. Now, technically, if I'm I'm picking at straws right now, I'm pulling I'm pulling hairs, picking straws, whatever. Um, I'm nitpicking a little bit. Mm. Te- one way that they, I'm, I'm sure they figure this out in playtesting, but if you really pay attention to Link's run, he's running at like 25 miles an hour. Oh, absolutely. Like that, that boy's <laughs> sprinting. <booking> yeah. <laughs> and it's not, that part's not realistic. So you can go from the Temple of Time to the castle in a, you know, a good like five minutes or something like that of, of real world time mm-hmm. in game, you know, maybe a whole afternoon passes. Cause of course it's like, I think, isn't it every 20 minutes or something? Basically it goes from day to night in breath of the wild, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, it, every minute is like a second or two. It Perhaps. Pro- yeah. Yeah. It progresses pretty quickly. Yeah. That could be. Um, and so the, you know, so it's not, I, so sometimes when I play Breath of the Wild, I'm not like a, I'm not a survivalist gamer. I'm not mm-hmm. like one of these that really want to play the hard games, but half the time I, I very rarely run as Link because I don't want to go too fast. Mm-hmm. I do want to actually move through the woods at a slow, normal pace, but half the time I have him walk half the time. I just analog yeah. halfway up and I actually have him walk and I'm looking around. That's actually how I play Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I only run if I'm trying to get away from an enemy, you know, it's stamina or whatever. But sometimes you are just trying to get across the field and you're just going for it. Yeah. Anyways, 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 I digress. So at this point in development, the game's still on Wii, Wii U. IG Anuma has this kind of famous video where he shows it off to Miyamoto and, and he's holding a Wii U controller. And at the time, the Wii U was basically what we know of as the map these days. Mm-hmm. And you could touch it and, you know, zoom in and zoom out and do all those kinds of things. Um... I don't know if he showed off in that video the abilities, the element, you know, like the, mm. the shrine abilities. I don't know if there were little buttons down on the screen, but it was very much intended that the main, the map, when you pull up your Sheikah Slate in Breath of the Wild, blink, 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 and yeah. it like zooms into the main screen on the Switch right now, the intention was that was always just permanently going to be the second screen on the Wii U controller. That would have been so nice. I think it could have been nice, yeah. I think it could have been. Um, obviously, the game kept getting delayed. And by the time they hit 2016, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But by the time they hit 2016, the powers that be at Nintendo, um, and this is, I don't have a source for this. This is almost hearsay and or rumor. Mm-hmm. But the powers be at Nintendo were like, well, actually, how about a little more time and we have it come out with our next system? Yeah, I also, thinking about that, I, would, I said it would be nice. But also, I just realized, I don't know how they would have completely made it work if it would have been... Uh, Again, I always compare it to other games I've played. Right now I'm playing Lies of P that had recently come out. And in that game, to access your menu, it doesn't stop what's going on in the background. So you can be like healing and get hit by an enemy. Mm-hmm. So it would have been interesting if you had that always up. Then if you were like changing armor or whatever, would it would the game still be running type they, thing? They probably for map interface it probably would be running. Um the one thing that you haven't had a chance to play yet, which I have a Wii U right over here that I kind of want to lend you, but mm-hmm. um, the Wii, the Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD for the Wii U uses that second screen okay. for your items and stuff and maps. And you can actually like just look down and touch hook shot yeah. and, and it queues up. You know what I mean? You can drag these items around and stuff like that on the screen. And the game doesn't pause when you're up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of cool. It does make help you feel like you're in the world a little bit. Famously, the game Zombie U, one of the early Wii U games, actually used um, that as a mechanic. Mm-hmm. So your backpack, you're like in a survival horror game. Yeah. And anytime you need to access your backpack, 
you'd have to literally look down at your controller and you'd, you yeah. know, they like actually use it as an advantage. In I was going to say it helps add that tension, that stress to the game. I, I agree. So would that have been better or worse? I don't know. I think what's kind of interesting is, you know, this hard push to have the game be on the Switch. Um, and it's very easy to move Wii U games over to the Switch. Mm-hmm. That's why we see so many Wii U games coming to the Switch, which is also why it's going to be easy to put Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD <laughs> on the Switch. Um, the the they all they probably just had to change some UI stuff to have the screen come up, the, do the blinky blinky blink, and you zoom yeah. into your um, map and stuff like that. But it's fascinating because I actually played Breath of the Wild on the Wii U originally. I didn't mm-hmm. have a Switch till only a couple of years ago. Around the, in fact, I think when we started this podcast, I was still playing Breath of the Wild on my Wii U. Mm. And what's fascinating is the controller, the Wii U controller, just goes black. Like oh. it just says, like it says, it has a little icon that says, like, look at the screen. <laughs> that's all it does. That's disappointing. Yeah. Or or you touch the screen and then it moves the the visual down so you can play almost like yeah. you're playing on a switch. And then the, mm-hmm. and then the TV says, look at your Wii U controller. Yeah. That's that's how they had to work around uh-huh. it because it became such a switch game at that point. Yeah. And that's also why the Sheikah Slate looks a little bit more like a Wii U controller, which mm-hmm. is also interesting to note that the uh, Pura Pad in Tears of the Kingdom basically looks exactly like a Switch. Yeah. Uh, random uh, thought, though. I remember when I we first got the Wii U, me and my brother, we would always fight over who got to have that and then who had the Wii controllers because we had the old like boxy TV. So the Wii U looked screen looked so much better oh, than our regular TV. So I was thinking about that. I was like, I would always just be looking at my my Wii U screen, not the yeah. TV. Yeah. I mean, those were good memories playing like some Mario Kart where one person's on the screen and the other person's on the, on the TV yeah. and switching back and forth. Uh, the Lego games worked really well that way, mm-hmm. actually. Anyways, anyways, I think we should probably go to break right now. Yeah. Okay. And when we come back, I'd like to dive into, um, I mean, you might have a little bit more on this because I know you kind of like this stuff even a little bit more. Um, um, I'd like to go into character design yes. and world design and kind of, we've got past some of the technical talk right mm-hmm. now of how, what, how the, what these decisions were and how they were made. And I think when we come back from break, we'll get into that. And then we'll speak a little bit about um, kind of the later parts of Breath of the Wild. And then I also have uh, some sales figures for Breath of the Wild at the end. Sweet. Sound good? Absolutely. I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Bye. It's the first day of school, and I'm walking around downtown Chicago with hundreds of other students. Everyone's getting back from summer break, and you can tell that they're happy to see each other after a couple months. For me, however, it's been a little longer. Hi, I'm David, and I want to introduce you to Returning Student, a documentary podcast that I've been making about my return to a college that I left 20 years ago. I'm back in the same city, at the same school, the same student ID number. Everything else feels completely different. My fellow classmates are literally half my age. My professors work in my industry. Sometimes I wonder why I've come back at all. But then I get the opportunity to sit down with one of my professors and have a conversation with them, which uh, usually yields a little bit of wisdom. You can find the show on all major podcast providers, as well as our website, returningstudentpodcast.com. A lot has changed over the past two decades. Hello there, listeners. David here. You know, the whole team at Another Zelda Podcast appreciates every bit of support our listeners give. And if you'd like to enjoy some extra content, we invite you to consider becoming a patron through our Patreon page. Sword members get a thank you on our website, as well as monthly digital wallpapers for all your devices, and the opportunity to participate in an annual meetup on Discord with the AZP team. 
White Sword members will get everything the Sword Tier gets, and also they'll get access to episodes a week early, as well as bonus episodes that we record specifically for Patreon. A new thing we're doing is monthly Discord meetups, where we'll play trivia and hang out with you as well. Lastly, and this is our most popular tier, actually, the Magical Sword level, which includes, of course, everything from the previous two levels, but also gives supporters access to behind-the-scenes videos that we produce and behind-the-scenes extended video versions of every episode. Thank you so much for your time. Let's get back to the show. And if you're already on Patreon, we are so grateful that you're helping us keep another Zelda podcast vibrant. We are back. Katie, we have jumped around on the timeline a little bit, but I'm happy that the conversation is just kind of flowing naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think, as I said before going to the break, I think it would be very nice for us to dig in a little bit about how um, Nintendo handled the character design. And maybe I can get us rolling here. Actually, yeah, yeah. I just thought of please something. Please do, please do. Well, I, I have a quote from IG Enuma. I have two quotes, but I'll use this one for now. Um, uh, he mentioned in an interview that occasionally this is a hot take a little bit mm-hmm. and i do think that this is nintendo's slash ig numa slash zelda's strategy sometime much to the remiss of lore lovers mm-hmm. um he basically said that if you start to if you start your game with a story and it's too strong i'm very much paraphrasing mm-hmm. right now it can actually inhibit the gameplay and mm-hmm. that when they make zelda games they actually make the gameplay first and then start figuring out a story later mm-hmm. um i think that they've done a great job with some of the stories but um, it's not as much as we love the stories. They're, they're not like, well, do you know what should happen is Zelda should get mad and then, then this person should get happy and then this should happen. Yeah. They usually make a game and then they try to figure out um, a story around it, mm-hmm. which actually probably speaks to some of the uh, uh, consistencies and inconsistencies in Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm interested with the Tears thing because obviously they kind of had the gameplay-ish, right? but they, I mean, the story was like huge for Tears. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a Tears episode, but I do think that the new mechanics in Tears make that game such a sandbox yeah. and such a, like, they probably had to tweak that for years. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? To make sure, which is super cool. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, he actually said sometimes it can inhibit gameplay. So they started just doing game mechanics first and it was just trying to make everything work and all of that kind of stuff. I can mm-hmm. speak a little bit to the combat and all of that, but I think one way that I can hand it off to you here mm-hmm. is... That um, while the gameplay people were working, they the design team was working very much mm-hmm. on the characters. Yes, they were. And also kind of like just th- saying, what would these characters live and feel like? And we and we don't have a story yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting. I'm like, look at my little notes here. Mm-hmm. So they, the way they kind of decided, obviously, they had to start with the Triforce, like the, the three mains. And so they started with Link, one, because he's the protagonist. But what I found really interesting was for this game they really wanted to focus on who he was and his personality. So they kind of started with finding his personality first and then built his design kind of all around that, which I think comes through really well. Yeah, which I always have said that, I think actually when we went to the Zelda dungeon marathon, there was a minute where I sat down with like a few of the other um, like girls there. And we were talking about which of our, the links were our favorite. Yeah. And we were talking about, especially the Skyward Sword link and Breath of the Wild link, talking about how it felt like those guys had so much personality and so much going on there. Wow. Yeah. And so it was, it was cool to be able to be like, 
okay, yeah, I kind of read into that. That was very personality heavy. And then they talked about Ganon, and Ganon was completely different. Where who did the girls at the the women at the Zelda dungeon talked about Ganon? Yeah, a okay. lot of oh well. <laughs> Link um, a lot, but we did talk about Ganon, but it was more so who was like the most attractive Ganon. Okay. Um, that's, that's a different thing. <laughs> All right, okay, um, okay. That's a different thing. No, I'm talking about the the developers, the I character see, designers, see. Ganon. I see. Um, but it was a whole different thing with um, Ganon, and they decided that before they did design or anything about him, they just wanted to fit him in mechanically as a final boss. And so they were thinking, okay. Ganon's going to be the final boss. Let's go around the office. When you think of a final boss, what do you think? He's got to be big. Okay, we're going to make him big. He's mm. got to be evil and glowy. Okay, he's got to be evil and glowy. You know, those kind of things. Until they got all of it together and we're just like, okay, here's this amalgamation of a being that's going to be Ganon. And obviously they kind of turned that all around with tears, giving him like a whole personality. Yeah. And then the final one was Zelda. And Zelda... They specifically said that they wanted her to be really different in this game. And they wanted this game to more heavily focus on her personality first before they went into her design. And there was actually a... They didn't really... From what I had read, it wasn't really like a angry debate kind of thing. But there was a moment of dissonance. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Oh, interesting. Where the game developers and like the story creators wanted her personality to really come through. Oh, I think I have a note about this. Yeah. They wanted to give you a reason why you want to save her because you like who she is and things like that. Whereas the artists wanted to focus on, Oh, you know, when you first see her, she's so beautiful. Like you just, you feel all these things you want to save her because she's so, she's so pretty and everything. And there was like that moment of kind of headbutting for a second there where one of them was like, no, like we need to make her an actual character. And the other wanted to just make her like a pretty face. Hmm. And they very quickly came to terms with that because I mean, who wants to just make a pretty face? And they ended up still making Zelda beautiful. They talked about Zelda was the one that they were still tweaking up until release. Ah. Um, specifically with like, they were saying, oh, this cutscene we tweaked a million times because we wanted to like accentuate her lashes. And then we wanted to like show the gleam of her hair and make her unforgettable type thing. But yeah. I'm, I think I think the Zelda in Breath of the Wild is the strongest Zelda we've gotten Absolutely. yet. Absolutely. The most well-developed yeah. uh, Zelda we've received yet. Uh, in the random comment, there's a specific... I was looking at a lot of her concept art and, you know, a lot, it seemed like there was a lot of her and her more modern look. Uh, but there was one where she had really shortcut hair. Like it looked like it had been buzzed and was growing out. Oh, wow. Type short. And it was gorgeous. I would love to see a Zelda like that in the future. Um, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I could speak a little bit about the, uh, the, the fighting mechanics. Yeah. Jump over to that. Yeah, sure. Um, the, there's, there's something interesting with, I guess, the way Nintendo makes games, because I can't help but think about um, Miyamoto making Mario games. And kind of famously, whenever, certainly the 2D Mario games, but this is also true for the 3D Mario games, whenever Miyamoto has spoken about this many times, is that sometimes they'll spend weeks, mm. if not more, just trying to program Mario's jump. And does it feel right? Mm. Does it feel fun? Does it feel good? They'll make fake little levels to jump around in. Um, Mario 64 famously had just like weird boxes so they could just practice mm. the moveset. And they didn't even start building the game until they knew that Mario's moveset was solid and that it was yeah. working and that it was, I am quoting Miyamoto, fun. 
Was it fun to do? Yeah. And he's also said this about the 2D games in the early days when they were making the early Marios. Um, one of the things that stood out about an early the, the the fact that Mario had inertia when he jumped was kind of a new thing for the original mm-hmm. Nintendo game, and that made it more fun. And then they realized that if you push if they allowed the character to kind of change the arc of that inertia by pushing left or right, that Mario would slow down in the air, speed up a little bit in the mm-hmm. air, that that made it more fun and had the character, had the player feel like they had more control over the character. Mm-hmm. And I never realized or thought about this. Um, I've never even considered that a Legend of Zelda game might take a similar approach. But apparently um, with Breath of the Wild, because the the... the combat was going to be so different. I mean, you're still Z targeting and stuff like Mm -hmm. that or whatever it is, L targeting. You're still doing all those things, but um, because of all these elemental effects that were at play in the system, Mm -hmm. combat changed dramatically in Breath of the Wild. It can be all the way down to you know um throwing a rock on, on a baddie or or having a baddie get electrocuted or 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 taking a skeleton's head and and, and throwing it back at it or whatever yeah. there's a lot of things going on right so apparently what they did is they kind of took a, a note from the kind of mario jump philosophy and they said we, and um they basically designed a single combat scenario and it was a bacoblin as it should be uh, and just yes. worked on this fighting mechanic over and over and over until link fighting this Bacoblin um, felt fun and they were able to polish every single version of how this fight could go down. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like all of the elements, you know, we've all seen, um, you know, players like take their sword and throw it at a, at a baddie just so that lightning hits it and stuff like that. Or, um, you know, using trees to roll down and knock into things and setting fire to the grass so you can get that nice, like up, Setting fire to the grass, which might de- defeat the Bacoblin, b- and then also you get up ahead, you know, above yeah. to like shoot an arrow down the whole thing. So apparently they just worked on this over and over and over until they finally got it right. And then they started to um, explore what other enemies would be like once they like mm-hmm. nailed the combat, which I think is interesting because I do think with some g- other games, maybe some of these characters and different things are getting designed. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, like the like the, the invisible wall, um, mm-hmm. li- the, li- a literal invisible wall in a video game and a metaphorical invisible wall in a video game is usually usually happens when um, everything hasn't been thought through. Sometimes mm-hmm. the invisible walls are for a level are designed. But um, for example, sometimes you'll you'll sense in a video game and I, I don't want to speak to this too long, but um, maybe a certain kind of combat. You can feel when when things are patched like, oh, yeah. it worked for this character. And then they designed this other really cool character. And um, maybe, oh, well, you just can't. It kind of happened in Wind Waker, come to think of it. Mm -hmm. There's certain weapons you can hold, but there's other weapons you can't grab. And so it's all kind of case by case. Yeah. And you can tell that maybe that concept came up after other choices had been made. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of cool that Nintendo did this whole like, no, let's make, whoa, whoa. This is even before really like game mechanics. This is like, let's make being in the world and the combat and, and, and I, I hesitate to even use the word combat, but just like this, it's technically combat, but it's mm. not just running around with a sword. Is this fun? And then we can flesh it out. Yeah. No, I, I think that's so cool. And I, I think that's such an important part. Uh, with also when we talked a little bit earlier about them trying to design like the size of the map and talking about Kyoto, they wanted, that was like their big thing where they're like, is this too big where it's like daunting and we don't want to do it. Is it too small where there's no fun place to explore or is it fun? It's like a fun size. It's a lot to do, a lot to explore. I mean, maybe we can circle back to the whole play test thing right now, because this is around the time of this stage of development where the game is on the switch now. Yeah. And it's true that every three months or so, 
the developers were given a week to just play the game. I almost said a week off, by the way, by now, yeah. by accident, but it's not. It's a it's a week to stop, play the game. And there was a full message board system that they implemented into the operating system, the operating system, <laughs> the engine of the game, uh-huh. um, where designers could place signs and put comments in, and then they could be upvoted that, by <laughs> other designers and stuff like that. That feels very much like uh, Mario Maker. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. And then also, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Hero's Path, which is native to Tears of the Kingdom, but it was mm-hmm. a DLC thing in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. The Hero's Path actually started as a tool for this process. They would actually, it was actually created a little bit like Ascend in Tears of the Kingdom, which oh. originally was just a developer tool so that they could pop up and see where they were as they were designing caves and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they realized it was fun and they were like, maybe this should be one of the abilities. But anyway, um, in Breath of the Wild, the Hero's Path was actually a tool so that when everyone played these games every three months or played their sessions, um, Nintendo could take that data, overlay it, and see where where people were going or weren't going. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, oh, it's a little hard. Oh, because of this mountain, people aren't going to the other side of this mountain so much. So it either means change the design of the environment or, ah, we now actually know, almost with a literal heat map of where people are traveling mm-hmm. on this map, we know that less people go there. So maybe that's where we hide a Korok or maybe that's where we hide one of the shrines. Yeah. You know, and it's so cool that they used that. And then, of course, they just developed it a little bit more and then allowed it to be one of the DLC features. But it was originally a tool. Yeah, and and talking about uh, a little bit with playtesting, they were playing the game. They were also, this also goes back to some concept art and some like design stuff. They were trying to think of well, what monsters they want to include in the game because there's so many, like there's a wide array of monsters and wide array of, creature, of creatures. Sorry. And they were talking about the Octoroks and especially the Octoroks from the original Legend of Zelda game. Oh, this is like a story that IG Numa tells. Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying like, Oh, I, I remember thinking the Octoroks were so big and so scary. Mm-hmm. And they're developed, they ended up developing the Octoroks into what is now the Guardians. Indeed. And he, I remember from the little interview I watched of him saying, like, I didn't think that they were going to be shooting lasers, but <laughs> we're here now. <laughs> and it's funny because you think about it. And if you think about an Octorok sprite in the original The Legend of Zelda, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same 16 pixels by 16 pixels that Link is. And so, yeah, they are enormous. They look huge. Right. Yeah, no. It's easy I, for us to consider them as like little turtle looking things. And then of course the Octorax in 3D have been rendered a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. But I get it. I see why he he's 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 told this story in many forums. Oh really? And it's kind of like a famous one that that's where the the Guardians came from. And I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, I think it was it's it's fun to think like, oh, they end up spawning the Guardians from this, but they also still have the Octorax in there as like little guys to annoy you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think what's kind of interesting about the Guardians, I'm just making this observation. I don't have this in my notes. Um, if a lot of the characters, another part of the systemic part of Breath of the Wild is that all of the baddies have an, have awareness metrics. So they can hear Link at a certain distance and hear Link mm-hmm. at another distance, you know, if Link's making noise or not. And they have a line of sight as well. They all have vision cones of what they can and can't see. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that, it might be fun to have some of the characters have almost zero vision, um, and then have some of the characters have, I guess, literal laser vision. And yeah. so with the with the Guardians, it was this kind of idea of like, well, if we're going to have lasers, I would imagine it's this idea of if we're going to have lasers, we're going to make them, their 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 line of sight, because also like the Lionels have pretty far line of sight. They'll notice you from far away. Yeah. The Guardians are like the longest. They'll see you from across a field, but the second you're behind a tree or the second you're behind a little stone, mm-hmm. you know, it's a pinpoint accuracy. So they just narrowed that cone of vision in mm-hmm. to a single solid line. And that's just a, such a great way of taking the systemic 
vision logic that you've built for your enemies and saying, well, how far can we stretch this? Can we make it just be like a like a like a little sniper scope almost? Yeah, which I also wanted to speak with the Lionels because I didn't find this out until like a few years after I played Breath of the Wild, where they do have a pretty big like line of sight, but they have a, a relatively short hostility range. Yes. Which I think is fascinating. It's mm-hmm. such a cool choice that they were they made that because, you know, Lionels are talked up and they're terrifying and they're big and they're hard to fight and everything. So people don't want to try and get close to them. But if you like try and just test those limits, you can find like, oh, like so long as I don't really get right up on them, they're kind of chill. They just yeah. want their, their space. You they know? might notice you. They might look at you. Yeah, they'll look at you, but they'll just be like, stay, stay over there. <laughs> yeah, stay over there, which implies a character that's intelligent and territorial. Yes. Oh my gosh. I which I wanted to talk about with the Bacoblins. So I, I love Bacoblins. I think they're great. Mm-hmm. And I will I'm gonna speak to this in a bit, but um in in, in an episode that will come out sometime this season. Oh, you're talking about our <laughs> monsters episode yeah, that's like gonna, three or four episodes out? Yeah, we're gonna cool. do monsters episode. I'm gonna talk about Bacoblins. But I always latched onto them because the whole thing is when the Bacoblins were designed, they were like the first monsters that were designed in the game were the Bacoblins, specifically the red Bacoblins. And they wanted to give them a lot of personality. And so they were saying like, if you watch them from a distance, you can see them like, oh, they're picking their nose or they're fighting with each other about something. They're dancing, they're singing, they're sleeping. And they kind of wanted them to be like, oh, maybe they did something to like now be under this thrall and now be evil because they're just silly little guys. And like maybe they had a personality before all this went down. Maybe they weren't evil. And I think that's so fun to think about. uh, I have two things to say about that. I think that is fun. I also love the idea that the Bacoblins and many of the characters, but it's very clearly expressed. You can I'm just realizing you can tell that they made the Bacoblins first because they 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 as a character are so well realized in the game. Yeah. They're so they're you know, you can when you do watch them from far away, you can see them kind of talking with each other, eating their food, picking their nose and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um and and just kind of living. They'll even if bees come by and you're not even yeah. there, they interact. Like their AI is running the whole time, which is very cool. So um one fun thing is, I don't know if you know this or not, but after there was like a data mine of Breath of the Wild a few years back. And it was found that there's an actual sound effect for the nose picking. I saw. So <laughs> I, I didn't see it from the data mine, but I was looking into some of the folly work and some of the sound work for Breath of the Wild. Okay. And they mentioned that how they did that was they like took a wet cloth and then oh, they gosh. just like rubbed their hand in it. Sure. Um, and same thing. They So the like horn that they used to sound to kind of get the other Bacoblins to come, they originally were thinking about using a French horn for it. Okay. And one of the guys in the studio that were helping making it were like, I have a horn that looks exactly like that. So they brought that horn in and played it, and that's the sound you hear. So they ended up just using it because they thought it sounded hilarious. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, if it, if it gives it that kind of like noise, that's yeah. awesome. I love it. There was um, one other thing I wanted to talk about with this uh, with the developers. The week off, okay, fine, play the game, in-game message system with upvoting, which is interesting because it allowed the producer to see, the, it allowed the producers to see which areas of the game still needed work or which areas were mm. working, which I think is brilliant. Oh, the Hero's Path is a testing tool. What the heck? I thought I had another note about all this. Well, I guess we'll keep going. Maybe it was, oh, maybe it's, so my notes are slightly, I started filling up the page here. I went old school and I used mm. a pencil and paper here. I used a Zelda book oh, that I did in beautiful. one of our unboxings. Um, and so let's see here. I think it's actually up towards the top. Oh, you know what? One thing we were, didn't, we kind of skipped over was the story version and, um, how the story, obviously receiving the story, they decided to, you know, do it through these memories because you can't receive it. The story mm-hmm. one would, I would argue, I would argue 
that the story of Breath of the Wild is the story you make yourself. You yeah. know, I, re- I really feel that way. It's like I my story is that I went to Zora's Domain and then I went over here and then I talked to this guy. And mm-hmm. that's what I think is beautiful and special about Breath of the Wild is that everyone has their own story. But there is the meta story, the back, the you know, the mm-hmm. flashback stories that that we can use as a traditional narrative, which is interesting. But um, apparently, initially, the team was thinking about like, well, how do we pepper in this storyline throughout the game? And then they just decided, well, we're just going to let it be a collage and, you know, let you yeah. find it as you go. Um um, and, uh, oh, oh, this is what, this is what I want to find another <laughs> quote by IG Anuma. Um, he, as they were working on the game, he said, I don't, I don't want to work. I don't necessarily, I don't want to work with someone who's necessarily good at playing games, um, while they were building the, the game. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe this is how he feels about all game making. I don't want to work with people that are necessarily good at b- playing games. And then I'll paraphrase. He goes on to say, um, I want to work with people that like to climb mountains and like to go scuba diving and like to do all these things uh-huh. because maybe they'll find ways to implement. Instead of thinking, I think for me as da- David, I'll make take a personal moment here mm-hmm. and say, I don't play. I play, a, in my opinion, I play plenty of video games and, and I'm very happy to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I know I don't play ga- video games as much as other people do. Um, and I don't necessarily, you know, I've, you know, I don't. There's a lot, let me put it this way. The reason why there's a lot of video games I don't play is that for me, they feel kind of video gamey. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does that mean? That's, that's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of an out, a little bit easy, bit of an easy answer. But what I mean by that is sometimes you're like, well, this is just the next game where I'm doing the same things and this is the same way I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm crit leveling up this and doing that. And it's the same, yeah. you know, it's just the same. A lot of skill trees. Yeah. And I think that, that that can happen when game people are making games and that's wonderful mm-hmm. and cool. But I love this idea of like, well, what happens if, non-game people are making games or, yeah. or artists are making games. Well, I think that's also why indie games and especially recent years have had yeah. such a wide appeal because it's people that just love games. They love doing all this different kind of stuff, coming together with their friends and just being like, let's just do something fun and crazy. And so that's why I think games like Undertale, Cult of the Lamb, all these different games like this have had such a wide mass appeal, even though like, like for Undertale, for example, it's made by Toby Fox, mm-hmm. one guy. I mm-hmm. mean, there were some people that helped... Um, Oh my goodness, I'm blanking on his name. There was a guy that helped create a lot of the the characters, but I mean, it was really just Toby. And right. it's to this day, I think it recently hit like it's, I don't know, like 13th year or something crazy like that. And it's still really widely talked about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, you know, you can see, you can imagine how uh, a big game company, big big game uh, creator you know, you, you can get stuck in a, in the tropes of what a, what a video game can be mm-hmm. sometimes. And and honestly, as I say this, some people might argue that Breath of the Wild took on some of those tropes. You know, um, the 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 all of the blight Ganon blights, honestly, for me, play like a quote unquote traditional video game, and that's why they were yeah. a little lackluster for me Absolutely. personally. No, I agree with that. You know, it was like, well, just just you know, well, okay, I don't want to get into that too much. But anyway, <laughs> I think I think I think it's cool that. Um, you know, whenever you're whenever you're allowing yourself to go outside, you know, think outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, always very exciting. I, I think it's a good. I, I think it's good being able to pull from all these different resources and all these different games and movie ideas and things like that to kind of create something of your own and create a little spin on it. Speaking of pulling people in, as the game was just about to, uh, in, you know, the final year of this game that was had been delayed, had been delayed again. Um, not because of necessarily bad reasons. Everything that I've collected is that it was just, well, actually, weirdly, it was like, oh, we want to keep working on it. But by the, by the time they hit 2016, it was more like, let's just wait till 2017 and bring it out with the Switch. At this yeah. point, the Wii U was already 
not doing so well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so then it was like, well, guess what? You get an extra year to work on this because then it kind of did become a, um, a marketing plan a little bit. But with that said, that final year, Nintendo allegedly put every all of their they put a ton of assets into finishing Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. from 2016 to 2017 knowing that they wanted it to be if they if if the Zelda team was going to get an extra year to make this game to finish this game mm-hmm. then it was like sure as heck going to come out with the Switch on day 1 you know it's yeah. going to be a release game for the Switch if if Nintendo was going to invest all this time and money and invest they did because by the time that this team was um in full in that final year there was actually about 300 people at Nintendo working on this game mm-hmm. And it started with a much smaller team. And that's kind of natural. You know, these games, will they'll, they'll put teams on to... Yeah. You'll even hear stories about a, a medium, a mid-tier game or a smaller game getting the team removed to go on to a big yeah. game. And then the small game get, you know, gets the resources again a half a year later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, on top of that, Nintendo has this very interesting relationship with Monolith Games. Are you familiar with Monolith Games and what games they make? Um, I'm, I'm kind of doing a little quiz for you. It's okay if you don't no, know. No, give, give, me, give me an example of a game. And I can well, I mean, you. I can just tell you Xenoblade Chronicles and all oh, of them. okay. I was going to say yes, yes, yes. Because they sounded very familiar. I just could not place. It's so. one of those, right? Yeah. It's one of those. It's Yeah, I know. It's like... Big boys. Yeah, yeah. But not a lot of people do know the name Monolith. Um, well, I mean, yeah. Anyways, um, less than like a Nintendo or something. Like yeah. That. So Nintendo actually has a previous relationship with Monolith Games, and it started with Skyward Sword about mm. five years before. Um, when Skyward Sword was, I'm saying it, history hasn't said this specifically, but when Skyward Sword was trying to kind of do that final lap around the track and make it across <laughs> the finish line, yeah. they also needed some help. And um, one of the one of the things that was uh, originally conceived for the overworld of Skyward Sword Overworlds was that they were supposed to be like really dense and almost feel like dungeons themselves. And and if you mm-hmm. think about it, they kind of do. You know, the Elden Ridge and the forest. You're you're solving little puzzles to bring let vines fall so you can get to another area, and that's less common in normal overworld things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Skyward Sword, it is a little bit more dense. Well, Monolith helped with a lot of that, and Monolith actually also helped. Basically, they were like filling in the gaps. So while Nintendo was building the dungeons, Monolith was kind of fleshing out some of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll liberally say overworld for Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. In addition, they also worked on the um, all of the uh, upgrading mechanics for the weapons in Skyward mm-hmm. Sword, which was kind of a new thing to a Zelda game. Yeah. Previously, if you got a if you got an, you know an upgrade to a sword was just expressed as a new sword. Yeah. You know there and that's. And I've already said this. I said this years ago on this show, but that's that's originally why people were so attracted to The Legend of Zelda, because the joke is they took all the numbers out. So instead of being like, this is my sword and I just got 20 XP hit point increase. It's like, well, let's take all that out. And yeah, fine. Maybe it is 20 XP, yeah. 20 or you get 20 XP for 20 hit point, blah, 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 blah. But we'll just call it the silver sword, the white yeah. sword, the whatever. You know what I mean? And that's that was the way that they handled their upgrades. And actually, that's kind of funny. I don't want to get too far off topic. And we've talked about this on the show before plenty of times. But there's, of course, that hidden XP. There is hidden XP in Breath of the Wild. They just never tell it to you. Mm. You know what I mean? There's a whole thing. And if you and I haven't spoken about that, I'll save that for another conversation for okay. another day. But there is hard stats running in Breath of the Wild. They, the, the game just doesn't give any of them to you. It's very cool. That's fascinating. It's how they control when the gold bacoblins show up, when like the different the white lionels show up. Yeah, I actually, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I did kind of I, I remember playing the game and realizing that, especially going back and starting the game over again mm-hmm. and being like, where are you guys where where are these guys heading? The at? world gets more difficult as you 
uh, gain more experience points. Link literally acquires experience points. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember, uh, again, this is a little off topic, but when I was playing Tears, I almost, this might be just a me thing, I almost felt like it ramped up too quickly for me. And like, this, Tears is more challenging. Yeah, for me in the sense where I was like, I I like in Breath of the Wild, now that I'm a higher level, I can go to the Red Book Cobblums and be like, one hit, you mm. used to like scare me, I got With my you. stick. <laughs> yeah. And when it was in tears, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't one hit anyone no matter how high level I get. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they are all kind of skilled up and narratively that's because of Ganondorf and all that stuff. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what I'd like to circle back to this um, monolith thing. So they apparently helped flesh out a little bit of the level design for Skyward Sword and then also did the upgrade system and all of the, um, what are they called? Gratitude crystals. Okay. They were the ones that peppered in the gratitude crystal kind of like in, in Skyloft and just to make, to make it feel a little bit more um, yeah. well-realized or whatever, I guess you could say. So Nintendo and Monolith are friends. Mm-hmm. Fine. They were absolutely brought in in the final year. There was like 100 people from Monolith also oh, got wow. brought in. So then you had a team of 400 people working on this game. And Monolith... Um, I don't have this in my notes, but if I recall correctly, specifically worked on uh, terrain design and stuff like that for mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild. Specifically just helped flesh out a little bit more of the land and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, about a year or two ago, there was this uh, press, not press release, there was like a, a hiring call. We would call it a casting call, but yeah. like a hiring call at Monolith Software. They were hiring about 100 extra designers to work on an undisclosed project <laughs> Where in which they'd be working on terrain. It was hysterical. And everyone was like, well, that's the next Zelda game. Yeah. You know, and so they, they even, so Nintendo even used Monolith Software for Tears of the Kingdom. We thought it didn't have that name at the time or whatever. That's so funny. <laughs> so, you know, this is 400 people, some of them in the Nintendo headquarters, some of them over at Monolith Studios, kind of, kind of bringing the game into the end. I think Breath of the Wild is a, a well realized game. I think it's highly polished. I think it's, it's probably one of the best Zelda games that's come out. Almost ever for for plenty of reasons. I think I think most you know, with the exception of these like pro speedrunners that have learned how to do all the crazy weird little glitches and the glitches through the walls yeah. and the and the shield jumps, the power bomb shield jumps oh, to, to, so to jump across. <laughs> By the way, did you know that IG Numa actually stated that he loves that people are doing this? I see. That's the thing. I love when game developers love when people find ways to break their game. Yeah, I think that's just how you tell like they love what they're doing and mm-hmm. they love the, how that people are just enjoying themselves. I saw one video where a guy actually properly got over the. It was in tears, not in breath. He built a little machine and properly flew across the northern canyon and got onto that like uh, mountain side that's on the north side of the map, you know, that you can't uh-huh. get to. And he was walking around. There was nothing there. Um, I think I think technically Yiga clan were showing up, which they, means they must not be. They're not there because they're spawned randomly based yeah. on Link's location. So he kept fighting Yiga on this weird, strange mountain range that you're technically not supposed to get to. <laughs> so but funny. anyway. So that's a lot of what I have as far as bringing the game in. It comes out. It comes out on uh, uh, 20, 2017. March third, I believe. March third, uh, twenty seventeen. Right there, right in line with the Switch. Pretty much day one. Yeah, and then little Katie went to trade in her Wii U and got recommended the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild by a GameStop employee. So you trade in the Wii U and you say, "I want a Switch and." A game. Yeah, I say I want to switch and I don't know what games are out because the switch just came out. I'm probably gonna get just dance. And the guy was like <laughs> uh-huh. cool. and the guy was like, Well, you can get just dance, or do you want a game that's gonna last you a longer amount of time? And I'm like, What do you got for me? Mm-hmm. And then he said, Oh, we have Breath of the Wild here. It'll take you probably like a hundred hours. It's a it's it's a hefty game. And I was like And back in twenty seventeen, 
was Katie Roberts saying, what's a Zelda game? I was like, I have heard tell of this Zelda game. <laughs> that was like my Link's Awakening experience. Yeah. All right, cool. I was like, I've heard tell of Zelda. Yeah. What, pray, pray tell, what is this Zelda? <laughs> and so, you know, he gave me a brief rundown. My mom was there. She was just like, just buy the game so we can get out of the store already. And I was like, all right, fine. You know, I'll, I'll get it. And if I don't like it, I'll trade it in. Sure. And the rest was history. I played Amazing. it. I loved it. It was great. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. Um, do you have any other closing comments about the game or anything that maybe we I've accidentally skipped over? No, I guess my last little thing is, I don't know if you know this, but when they released the game, they were anticipating Zelda to be the most liked character in the whole game. They thought she was going to be the most popular. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, I like Zelda oh, the most. Oh, really? You do like Zelda the yeah. most? No, I, I like Zelda a lot. I just was surprised to, I don't know. I guess I was surprised to see like, cause she was always kind of like a, you know, she's like the princess character and she makes some deviations with like Twilight Princess and some games like that. But it was interesting that they pushed so hard for her in this game and that I, they were like, we want her to be the most like we want her to be liked more than anyone. Well, I, I can see that because, I mean, she's the one that has the most interesting character arc. She has an, she has an arc. She has a couple of them, frankly. Um, we've we've had entire episodes talking about this, so I won't talk about it here as much. But I think Zelda, all things considered, is fantastic in Breath of the Wild. Yes. And I kind of want to circle back to your comment about Link having character in the Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. For me, personally, and I actually really enjoy the avatar of Link in Breath of the Wild, but for me, the Breath of the Wild Link is the first Link to have zero character. Really? Yeah, he's just a blank canvas. We can literally change his clothes. We can we can make him us in the, any yeah. way we want now. Whereas you know before that, you were you were playing a character, a person that lived in a town in a world that had his own clothes, that had his own thing. Yeah. Um. Th I think on purpose. I think the I think Link in Breath of the Wild is slightly androgynous on purpose, slightly ageless on purpose. Yeah. All they, of that. They did talk about they wanted to make Link a lot more androgynous in this version of the game. Um, for people to kind of project onto easily. Mm -hmm. But I think I, I think with the Breath of the Wild Link, it, he's interesting because his personality is gone because he has forgotten everything about who he was. Okay. But if you dig through the game and like you do these little things like find Link's house, you can find his old armor, you can just like do little dialogue options with him and how he kind of reacts to different characters. Like when you go into a shop and one of the girls is flirting with him and things like that, you can kind of see bits of his personality peek out. It's not nearly as much as Skyward. I, I love Skyward Link so much. You're always yeah. going to hear me talking about him. I mean, even Twilight Link for me is more developed. But. Yeah. I don't know. And again, it might just be a thing of because he's such a blank slate, everyone's been projecting onto him and giving him the personality they think that he should have. You might have just said something totally brilliant. Maybe people feel that the Breath of the Wild Link has so much character because they're maybe almost not even realizing that they're building that character. I think, I think honestly, not to toot my own horn, I think I just hit it on the head now that I'm thinking about it, because a lot of the things where I now associate with Breath of the Wild Link, I have gotten from other people saying like, oh, I had canon that Link is like this and this happens. And everyone as a group has kind of been like, yes, this is Breath of the Wild Link. Link can be what, what the fans decide Link is, yeah. is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, interesting. Like I just ruined my own thing. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're right. Well, yeah. no, I think we've kind of real. I think it actually is still true that if there's a perception, if there's a larger perception or even an individual perception that the the, the character of Link is character is full of character in mm -hmm. Breath of the Wild, it's because people have 
even inadvertently placed that character on that avatar. And I think that that's wonderful. Yeah. That, whoa, let's bring it full circle. Full circle. Speaks to how game design and gameplay can create, can allow for that character to be built. Do you yes, see? Yes, exactly. Wow. Um, whereas I think, you know, Zelda, Zelda in Breath of the Wild is, is, it's also, if you've played a ton of the Zelda games, this is definitely, I almost said the coolest version, but honestly, Twilight Princess Zelda is pretty cool, but she's very, she's pretty non-existent. You know, she's mm-hmm. a bit stoic. Um, this is the most like in the game, even though it's all flashbacks in the game that you see Zelda be. So I could see how they thought that. Um, mm-hmm. um, may I share some sales figures? Yes, please do. Because I actually had to pull myself off of the Zelda link. Um, I was almost going into a rant there. So I was like, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's land this plane and finish this episode. Um, so just for, just for some, um, you know, just to kind of remind us of the beginning of the episode, um, Skyward Sword selling approximately 4 million, um, uh, units. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly the, the, the source that I got this from, I'm not sure if there was a, um, is it like, was it as of today or was the source yeah. a year or two old? I honestly don't remember. I, I, I don't have that. So take all of these numbers with a grain of salt, because also there's things like, um, when you think about the Legend of Zelda, the original game, mm-hmm. when Nintendo posts the sales of that game, sometimes that'll include all the re-releases, all yeah. the Game Boy Advance versions of it. Every time they put it on Virtual Console, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it'll include those kinds of things. So take all these numbers with a grain of salt, but just as a general metric to, to, of awareness. So we've got Skyward Sword coming in at four million, down from about ten million from Twilight Princess, <laughs> down from from Link Between Worlds of approximately five and a half. And I'm not trying to. <laughs> gives Skyward Sword a hard time. I'm just saying, yeah, I think some of the Zelda fatigue was sinking in after 20 years. And so for Nintendo to take a risk, and you know, you'll hear sometimes people these days say like, oh, is this new Zelda now? Well, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. And and, and for better or for worse, I'm cool with it. Um, so if I want to play classic Zelda, I'll go play Twilight Princess. I mean, you know, okay, yeah. people say, okay, we'll put it on Switch. Okay, fine, 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 fine. But like, it's okay. We can still play these older games. I'm, I'm, I've got Ocarina time going on my Switch right now and I'm loving it. So in the first three months of release, Breath of the Wild sold 4 million units. It literally sold as much as Skyward Sword's run, according to my data, in the first three months, in the first Oof. quarter, mm-hmm. which could even be the first month. Three months later, it sold an additional 4.5 million. Uh, three months later, it sold an additional 8.4 million. <laughs> and so uh, to, th- th- this year, 2023, mm-hmm. as of a month or two ago, this is, I, got my, I got my Breath of the Wild sales figures from a different source. So this is quite current. To this date, to this point or whatever, I wish I had the Ocarina of Time sales. But I think the highest selling Zelda game was Twilight Princess mm-hmm. at, at approximately 10, 10 million at some point. This month or whatever, or this 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 quarter, let's just say, we'll keep yeah. it vague. Breath of the Wild has sold 30 and a half million copies. Which is insane, but also I believe it. It's almost more sales than all of the Zelda games combined. Which I also want to say, I want to give props saying like, oh, yes, it is because it's a good game. But it also came out right in the middle of when the Internet was popping. And that is adorable for you. The Internet was popping five years ago. I, mean, I love it. I'm so sorry. Well, you have to I'm kind also of sh- keep in I'm mind, so I got a phone for the first time like five years ago. I hear you. So for me. I think a lot of the younger generation who was still super into consoles and super into gaming when they got their phone and they got the internet. I remember when I first started hearing about Breath of the Wild and I got it from the GameStop employee and everything. What really made me interested in it was everything, like all the fan art, all the stuff people were posting online. And so I was like, 
this is awesome. I want to talk about it with people. So I'm going to get into it and play it. Cool. Super cool. I get it. I get it. I'm so sorry I, to say adorable. I meant no disrespect. No, no, absolutely. I, I meant it, first I meant I it with were, care. I was going to say, I thought you were saying adorable to me saying that it was popping. <laughs> oh, popping. Yeah, sure. That's a word. <laughs> um, no, because for, you know, for me, the internet was coming into its own in 1999 when Ocarina of Time was coming out. And if you would have asked me, like Masas and I were talking about this last night, we were like, well, you know, in 1999 when the internet really took off. And what <laughs> I'm realizing is that this is generational. So yeah. for you, your quote unquote internet is basically iPhones. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And and for me, I've got 20 years of internet experience before that when it was computers and dial-up. And we thought, mm-hmm. we, th- we thought the internet was popping then, right? Yeah. And then he also even told a story last night about how Skyward Sword was, you know, it was 10 years ago, almost 12 years ago now, was the first time that the internet was truly popping, so to speak, because of all the video content and stuff like that. Yeah. And so what I'm realizing is your generation of gamers, which which I'm so pleased, I'm actually so pleased that we have this gap in our mm. gaming experience. Um, for if, if for you, the internet hit, let's say, another level, mm-hmm. When Breath of the Wild came out, that's your true experience, and that's wonderful. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's crazy because that's how I find most of my games nowadays, and I feel like a lot of people in my generation, that's how we find most of our games is we see what people are talking about. Mm -hmm. That's why when Baldur's Gate came out, I got into that game just because everyone this is so lame everyone on tiktok was posting about it and there was edits and everything and i was yeah. like this is so cool i gotta play it and see what they're talking about same thing with lies of p and then it, it was like the same thing when breath of the wild came out uh with the switch nintendo that was the switch was nintendo's first system where they allowed all the screen grabbing and sharing yeah. and stuff like that and you and um i think i think you're onto something there i do think i do think you know for your experience to be when the internet came into its own based on your um experience of like mm. probably being born in the previous step of internet right yeah and so it's like when it hit this next step i think that's i think that's beautiful and i think you're right there's someone older like me would say like well that's when the social media started taking off but kind of yeah well yeah that's the thing that's what i'm saying is it, it got so popular because everyone was talking about it on social media everyone was sharing everything it was like mm-hmm. the height of tumblr mm-hmm. and so that was where all the fan art was going and i know for me i that was like my thing was fan art and i know a lot of people around the game because that was also where I think the whole thing of like Link's personality in the game started was people doing fan art of him being like goofy or like doing oh. stuff and making little comic strips of him and things like it's that. Like, it's like, it's like, not, I almost said meta headcanon, but it's almost like mega headcanon. Yeah. And it's and like cultural headcanon. I was going to say, and it's something you see a lot in, I, I wouldn't say Zelda games because I don't, I'm not as familiar, but a lot in like, just a lot in media where like people will all decide like this is so lame but um no no uh back in like god i want to say it was like 2012 mm-hmm. back when marvel avengers came out sure and it was avengers tower the amount of things even nowadays people will be like oh yeah i remember those stories of like oh yeah clinton was he was living in the air vents and thor was had a huge <laughs> thing for pop tarts and everything none of that was in the movies none of it was in the comics <laughs> it was something that fans came together and they like and then making this huge thing that everyone just agreed upon. And even now, years, years after, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, haha, yeah, Thor and Pop-Tarts. That's so funny. Wow. Wow. I This is I'm, I'm so grateful to be uh, <laughs> being exposed to this. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I love I love everything on the fandom side of things. I think it's it's a cool community and a cool way to kind of see things in a different light. Love it. 
love it. So yes, the the you know, and also I'm just thinking about like even I myself now like love watching little shorts of like stuff that's made in Tears of the Kingdom or crazy mm-hmm. little combat things and all that kind of stuff. I'm realizing that. Um, I think that's it for this episode. I think we've got everything. Perfect. Game came out super successful, most successful game. Zelda game yet. I would yep. like. I think if our if our you know our final our our elevator thesis here could be that Nintendo was accidentally, and I include Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and Skyward Sword in this, accidentally starting to work themselves into a creative corner with Zelda games. Mm -hmm. And they probably were prompted by the low sales of Skyward Sword from the powers that be. But with that said, said, let's get creative, let's get crazy, let's mix it up. And it obviously paid off. Yeah. They wanted to break the mold and they did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Also, while weirdly kind of channeling what the original Legend of Zelda was like anyway, what it felt like back then. It was almost like a mega a mega cycle. But that's a whole conversation for another time. And awesome. Well, Katie, if people want to find you on the Internet, if they want to if they want to experience in your uh, uh, Zelda fandom, I'm trying to bring (laughs) it in here. Um, Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at my website, katieroberts.com. It's just K-A-D-Y. Got a weird name. And on Instagram at Mind of Katie, spelled the same. Love it. People can find me at Raptor Paint on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can find the show at anotherzeldapodcast.com, where we have links to all of our stuff, all this, you know, we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Play and all the, all the podcasts places. We have some, we have a bunch of blog articles on our website and we have links to our merch and stuff Join like that. Join the Discord. We have links to our Discord. There's a lot of discourse going on on Discord <laughs> right now, which is great. Hazel's helping us keep that alive over there. Shane's chipping in a lot. Very cool. Um, Hazel's doing like daily polls on our oh, on our general channel so right fun. now. It's it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's all part of it. We've got our YouTube channel, Another Zelda Podcast. Really, if you just go to anotherzeldapodcast.com, you'll find links to you'll all find the things. It all. it all that's a pretty good hub for it, which is uh, I think how websites are supposed to work. So yeah. until next time, Katie, I'll see you in a couple episodes. I think the next one we have is is Andy and I doing a building a theory or something. I think that's the next one on the slate. Very exciting. And our Monsters episode, yours and mine, might be the next one, unless it's Mallory's, where we're going to do music of Wind Waker. I I don't have the the full schedule (laughs) memorized, but it's in the spreadsheet. It's somewhere. And I'll see you in a couple episodes where we talk about some of our favorite monsters. Yes, so you will. Bye-bye. Bye.